0: Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 218 and today's guest is Phil Edmondson, founder and CEO of Corvus Insurance. It was time. The insurance industry had been lagging in terms of its digital transformation. But in recent years, lots of startups have accelerated a change in the market through the use of technology and innovative business models. Investors have certainly noticed the opportunity as well. Crunchbase recently reported that VC firms have invested over $20 billion in insured tech companies over the last three years. It's perfect timing for an entrepreneur like Phil. He gained critical domain experience and insights about the commercial insurance industry through the success of his prior company, and his current startup is scaling at a massive rate. Corvus Insurance is the leading provider of smart commercial insurance products powered by AI-driven risk data. The company recently announced a $100 million Series C round of funding. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Phil's background story and his experience in the insurance industry, including scaling his own insurance brokerage firm, which was acquired what led him down the path of starting Corvus Insurance, and how they are transforming commercial insurance by leveraging advanced data science with an AI-driven approach to empower brokers and policyholders to better predict and prevent loss, the details on their latest round of funding and growth plans ahead, Phil's experience as an investor in the insure tech industry, and the areas that he believes are still ripe for disruption, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. This week's episode is sponsored by Market Muse, a content intelligence platform that sets the standard for content quality. Their AI-powered software enables companies to create predictably better content at scale that increases traffic and engagement, improves productivity, and drives revenue. Get more out of your content with packages starting at just $79 a month. Plus, you can get 10% off select packages by using our code fiz 20 at checkout. Go to marketmuse.com to get started. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Phil. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Keith. It's a pleasure. I'm excited to talk to you because there's a lot going on at Corvus Insurance, which we're going to talk in great detail about the rocket ship that's happening there. But before we get into that, there's a major transformation that's happening in the insurance industry that is being powered by tech and data and so much transformation. So what, what do you think is kind of creating this tech industry boom?
1: So... I feel like I've had a front seat window on this uh, last five or six year process. After I sold my last business to Arthur J. Gallagher, uh, an insurance brokerage firm uh, that focused on tech, com- tech companies uh, uh, in 2015, I spent about 16 months meeting with all these young tech companies, many of which don't exist and many of which are now some of the biggest names uh, in the inter-tech sector. And what was happening I think then was that the venture capital industry realized that the successes they had had in deploying new technology in FinTech more broadly and banking and lending more narrowly were going to work out really well in the big huge insurance industry. And uh, and that uh, many of them were building practices and devoting partners and leadership towards understanding the opportunities for innovation in the insure tech industry. So part of the story is follow the money.
0: And then Boston's been a major like, innovator in this industry, too. So wh- So, why is Boston such a catalyst for this in, in that region?
1: Well, Boston has always been a place uh, of uh, venture capital funding. So some of the first venture capital companies in the country started in Boston decades ago. There's a very robust group uh, of investors, and we have some very strong uh you know, conventional or incumbent insurance companies. I think of groups like Liberty Mutual or Mass Mutual, both of which have fine uh, venture capital units devoted to insure tech.
0: Well, let's rewind the clock. So
1: let's uh, talk about your
0: backgrounds. You know, growing up, what were you like as a child?
1: Yeah, no different than most entrepreneurs, I think. You know, so I was uh, the the kid who had the paper route and then another paper route, um, and you know, exhibited. All that entrepreneurial nature. Even I think in seventh grade, homeroom, I got in trouble for dealing blackjack because I knew that the dealer had better odds. <laughs> that's uh, so awesome. That, that that deal went on for about a month until uh, I got cut out uh, uh, by the house. <laughs> <laughs> Internal security. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It must have been cameras.
0: <laughs> but I, the paper route. I, that's that. That's a you know. I, I know the. The newspaper industry went through massive disruption, but that's something that I I wish still existed just for the kids because that's a that is an entrepreneurial business because you got to be out there hustling, you got to be up there er, up early, and then you got to collect your money. Like it was just a good foundation job for all kids. Really is. It teaches
1: you a lot of great lessons. Okay, so you went on to Amherst College and you studied neuroscience. So what 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 was the thought there? Well, I loved uh, science, and uh, when I considered uh, my my other lab mates, we all wrote an undergraduate thesis, um, uh, and they all went on to become professors uh, uh, of neuroscience in different places. And during the summers while I was in college, I was working in the insurance business, and I was offered a job when I came out of college at a big insurance broker now called Willis. Uh, and I looked at that one career path, which uh, of research, which honestly seemed a little too slow paced for me. And I looked at the insurance business and particularly the work that insurance brokers perform. And I felt just more like I was with my people.
0: Okay. So you worked there for a stretch, but then you eventually went off to start your own insurance firm. So talk about that, like kind of what you learned and how did you feel like, okay, I I want to pursue my own entrepreneurial endeavors
1: here? Well, I was very fortunate that my sales manager tapped me on the shoulder to be the number two to go start a brokerage firm. But he agreed with me that focusing on tech companies would be a a really smart idea since the tech industry was booming. And during that time, I went to uh, business school at night at Babson College uh, and learned that uh, people think pretty hard about entrepreneurial behavior and found that there were some patterns that led to success including specialization. So if you're a small organization in any business, being a specialist is a good idea. And that uh, forced us, uh, allowed us frankly, to build a really successful business focused on tech companies.
0: So what, what were you actually doing? What was the insurance you were providing for tech
1: companies? All types of commercial property and casualty, as well as health and benefits uh, for software and internet companies, renewable energy companies, uh, and biotechnology companies. That was my connection to my neuroscience work. Is that I knew something about operations inside a laboratory. I knew which ones were dangerous and which ones just looked dangerous.
0: But it was very forward thinking because this is, you know, in the '80s when you know tech was certainly starting to progress and boom. But it wasn't to the level it experienced in the
1: '90s. And obviously, fast forward to today. That's right. And in the insurance industry, I think one of my uh, uh, mentors even, I'll give him credit for that, within the, the brokerage business w- would say to me, Phil, the, the, the bigger the tech, the smaller the check. And what he meant by that was that there wasn't much risk in, the, in insuring tech companies. I would be better off finding clients who had a fleet of ice cream trucks because all those trucks got into auto accidents and where there were accidents, there was insurance to be uh, brokered and managed and risk to be managed. And It turns out we were both right. Is that uh, that the tech industry, of course, as it has grown and become pervasive in our lives, uh, have developed a variety of risks that are also critical uh, to ensure and risks uh, that are critical to manage well. So
0: you scaled the the company, um, and it ultimately was acquired. So I uh, talk about that scaling, kind of figuring out, because it's not like um, you know you had run a business before. You kind of built this from scratch with your colleague, and then you scaled it. So talk about kind of where you got it to, and then once it was acquired, kind of your
1: role at that point. We actually sold it twice. Uh, we sold it once uh, and became part of Aon for uh, a year or two. Uh, and then my sales manager I referenced earlier retired. Um, uh, Need to say, he got most of the money. He had taken most of the risk uh, uh, the first time around. Uh, and then I bought the business back from Aon with 50 really, awesome colleagues uh, who had worked with me before. And uh, we expanded the way most businesses do, you know, on a uh, happy to grow at 10 to 20% a year, and were, and uh, had a lot of success, opened a business in Europe, opened offices, small offices around the United States, uh, and had, I think, traditional entrepreneurial success, Learn a few lessons along the way, hopefully, you know, uh, succeed in not repeating your mistakes.
0: So we'll talk about some of those lessons learned so what were the things that you learned kind of that time of wow if i could do things differently i, I would do this different
1: well i learned that you know that it is the there's a, a big element of trust in our business in the in the insurance business and in the commercial insurance business and that meeting people is really important and so you have to like that you have to want to get on the road you have to want to go to conferences visit with people, reach out to people who've never heard from you before, uh, and try to build relationships and share. You know, I think it's one of the things that informs me at Corvus was an inclination I developed in my earlier uh, chapters, which was to be, try to be anyway, very generous with what I knew, uh, because uh, people appreciate that. Uh, And the openness that uh, that I have always tried to use in my career is something that is very present in the tech industry, at least in the best parts of it anyway. So share, share the knowledge. Yeah, share the best practices. You know, don't, don't pretend that uh, you're so much smarter than anybody else because you're not, you know, but learn that if you share information, others will share information back and you can sift through that and find some new ideas to use to make your business better.
0: That is so true, because sometimes I think people get caught up in it's proprietary and how I know it is my strategic advantage. But if you actually share it out there and more people catch on, they likely don't have time to do what you're doing and probably will still work with you because you're the subject matter expert on how to do it.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm with you there, Keith. And if you go to the blog post at corvusinsurance.com, uh, uh, you know, to our the blog section, you'll see that we're full of stories like that about how we're dealing with the latest crisis in cyber insurance. And we could keep that secret, but instead I've tried to build a culture uh, that shares what we know, particularly with our brokers, of course, but with anybody who's interested because we're all on this mission. In our case, a mission to make the world a safer place. And we love that mission. And, uh, and part of that is, is a certain amount of openness. Yeah, I mean,
0: with that mission that you just stated, like you have to be sharing information because if companies don't know what they could be doing better, you're not going to make the world a safer place. So I I love that mission statement. All right, let's talk about Corvus. So what, you know, so you ran a uh, you know commercial traditional insurance agency, but with Corvus, you know, this is very much a tech company, right? It's a it's a platform. So talk about kind of how you saw this opportunity and started you know building the company.
1: Yeah. So as I said, I I sold that last business in 2015. I spent about 16 months. I met with 120 different young insure tech companies and lots of lots of venture capitalists. And I became convinced after the end of that listening period uh, that there was an immense amount of opportunity in our business uh, and that there was an opportunity to use new forms of data. Uh, and tech enable that data so that it could help us to predict and prevent commercial insurance claims. So there are different types of insure tech companies. Some of them focus on the servicing side or the automation or efficiency. Some of them focus on how to manage claims better. We've gone after the biggest piece, which is underwriting. So you know, more than 60 cents on the dollar is spent uh, uh, on the result of underwriting, which is of course claims. So uh, understanding that aspect of the business and using data uh, to better perform on those metrics, uh, to me, seemed like the most compelling opportunity.
0: Well, risk, is, especially in the world of cyber, is just growing every day. Uh, so obviously, you're in a good spot, but it's obviously a very challenging spot, too. Now, if we look at when you started Corvus, which was it? 2016 or 2017
1: like the the beginning of 17
0: yeah okay so what was the state of the industry then like like what were insurers doing as it relates to underwriting like what did they have the
1: data did they have the tools like like what what was it like then great question keith the industry was doing what i had seen it do with other new products because again i had this front row seat as the insurance industry responded to new technology uh and the way the industry did that typically was to look at the type of insurance that was closest to this new category of risk, and then just overprice a lot and offer very restrictive coverage. And so even as recently as five or six years ago, cyber insurers were using very old fashioned techniques, long applications that were modeled after other types of professional liability, even though cyber insurance has some aspects of professional liability, but it's really, a combination of first and third party coverages. But in any case, that's where it usually resided inside big insurance organizations. And it was overpriced. Uh, Insurers were all running at 30% loss ratios and uh, making lots of money. So nobody was trying to use new data uh, in order to improve the the situation.
0: So your business today, like, so what, types of companies are you working with? And what type of risk are they trying to alleviate? I mean, you see in the news every day, there's a new data breach, or there's something going on out there. So what types of companies are are, are looking for the, I guess, what type of insurance are you providing that's protecting them for any exposure?
1: Yeah. So um, we focus on pretty much every type of company, because there are very few companies that don't rely on uh, some type of digital a- asset. You know whether that's to organize their workflow, sell their product, uh, engage their customers. uh, Everybody's got a digital platform, and uh, you know Mark Andreessen, the uh, perhaps the inventor of the first web browser uh, more than ten years ago, said software is eating the world. And when you translate that back to insurance, it's cyber risk is eating commercial insurance risk. And by that I mean that it permeates everything now, property insurance, cargo insurance, professional liability, there's a cyber element to many different types of risks. And uh, the ability to evaluate it, unfortunately, for many insurers, stays back uh, uh, with the tools of five or 10 years ago, these long applications that uh, are frequently uh, incorrect, incomplete, uh, and certainly, uh, are static in their viewpoint whereas insurers like corvus that have built software and tools to evaluate the uh the it security of an organization we can do that as an on for underwriting but also as an ongoing service in in our mutual self-interest right our our insurers don't want to be hacked uh they want to be protected back to maybe the second half of your question what what sort of protection are they looking for There's a variety of risks covered under a cyber insurance policy, um, but the headline ones these days are all around ransomware events. Uh, And uh, that is uh, various types of hacks where uh, cyber criminals are able to infiltrate uh, defenses on websites, defenses on email servers, using phishing and other tools that by now most everybody has some familiarity with in order to get inside the systems to abscond with data and where possible to shut down the operations uh, or at least the digital operations of uh, our insurance and through that to conduct a ransom. Um, It's pretty amazing when you think of it, right? These are criminals who brand themselves so that we who have to pay the claims will know that we're dealing with a certain band of criminals and we will know whether they can be trusted uh, when we pay them off, it's uh, so they do uh, get paid off. Sure, ransomware events get paid all the time. Wow, interesting. <laughs> now we hope if we if we've worked with our insureds that our, uh, to help them protect themselves um, from uh, to understand the key vulnerabilities and learn how to uh, lock those windows and shut those doors and get a German shepherd behind the front door right? Uh, to use some overused me- metaphor that they're going to be less likely to be hacked in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we think is the most important place. But also as developments hit the news, you know, take this past few months, solar winds and Microsoft Exchange, everybody knows about the, these events, not just cyber insurance experts, and we know that they pose new threats. So with the types of software tools, uh, that we have in the data science and uh, and cyber incident database behind it all, we're able to determine as soon as these hacks become uh, relevant or be, uh, become public, we're able to, ter- to determine frequently which of our policyholders are most exposed to the future acts of cyber criminals uh, and are able to inform those insureds uh, as to what they can do to prevent those attacks, so it's really powerful. This software, uh, and it's such a differentiator uh, in preventing claims or reducing claims. Now, you, are, you know, are were early
0: to market. You know, other insurers probably weren't up to speed on what this industry actually meant. Um, yet you're building a very sophisticated platform that's using AI and lots and lots of data. So how did you go about actually kind of getting the company started as far as the platform? Because the other thing that I think is good about innovation and insurance or financial services is speed. So, uh, I think of what is doing as far as processing bank loans, like instantaneously versus going to the bank and filling out an application and having the loan officer look at it and three months later say no, but they're doing it instantaneous through data, right? So how did you go about building the platform initially? Because this is, this is a very sophisticated effort.
1: Yeah. And it points out, I think, uh, a question that you asked earlier that I didn't fully answer, which is that... You know you you can't just have insurance expertise and wish these things to happen right you know you need to have a shared management team so if you looked at the corvus management team you'd see some great uh tech entrepreneurs who are part of our leadership including my co-founder mike lloyd uh, who understand the process and the vocabulary around um the tech world so for example what does that mean well uh, how about MVP? I thought MVP meant most valuable player. Turns out <laughs> it doesn't in the tech world, it means minimum viable product. So uh, in other words, and pro- what's product? I thought that was something like property insurance or workers comp, but not in the tech world, right? Product is software. And so understanding the vocabulary and uh, deferring to the tech folks. And we've tried to do that culturally. And what does that mean? That means, you know, when we look at our technology, I'm staring at you on my MacBook rather than my PC. I'm using Google, not Microsoft. Uh, When we look at more, you know, uh, other important elements like compensation, we lean heavier into stock options than we probably then say an insurance company leans heavier into 401k. Mm -hmm. Um, so culturally, anytime we find these, these two industries rubbing up against each other, I defer it to the tech world, uh, because I think that allows us to build a culture that, uh, respects the, all that the tech industry can bring to a big, huge business like commercial insurance.
0: Now, over the past year, we've obviously gone through major just craziness in the world we've been living in with the, with the pandemic. Um, I would think that with employees working from home, that that would be an extra exposed risk for companies. So I would so like what, what did that mean for companies and how, how did it translate for your business?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the, the bad news is it did add more vectors for attack. Um, and uh, but they weren't really that new. So employees have been working on their mobile phones, their mobile devices, their laptops, Uh, Most organizations had at least a small percentage of their team who were working from home from time to time. So it did mean uh, that new vulnerabilities were uh, uh, engaged, Um, but I don't think that it's changed risk immensely. Um, It has brought, uh, while there's more opportunity for the cyber criminals, it has also brought a lot more awareness to organizations around the fact that, oh yeah, we got a lot of people working from home, and, and I think in the past a lot of organizations had a very small number of people working from home, and they just ignored the risk that was there. So when everybody's working from home, all of a sudden, all of a sudden the head of IT or whoever was in charge of cybersecurity starts paying attention to these issues, uh, and so I think those things have uh, balanced out. We've hit a new equilibrium there, and uh, that's not our uh, you know that's that's not the most pressing problem we, or challenge we have right now well you raised 33
0: million in january of 2020 yet just in march of this year you raised your series c of 100 million so that's a quick raise so that tells me that, that there's validation of growth of what you're doing and that's like adding gas to the fire to accelerate and build a a, a big company yeah. so so talk about that fundraise because you know that was a very quick turnaround from b to c
1: Yeah, so really what we saw during this past year is that our metrics for uh, uh, bringing new customers to us uh, demonstrated that uh, investment uh, in growth was compelling. You may, and again, this is uh, back to vocabulary. Uh, The tech world refers to this as LTV to CAC, uh, long-term value to customer acquisition cost, right? And while those metrics are uh foreign i think to traditional insurance companies everybody understands it generally right which is should i fund some losses in order to scale my business more quickly is there that much opportunity particularly if my customers are likely to stay with me for a long time uh, in commercial insurance uh, the business is pretty sticky overall uh, you know uh, The best statistics I've seen say that normal renewal retention of premium someplace in the mid 80s, that's a lot better than um, private uh, uh, passenger auto insurance for example. So commercial insurance is very sticky. um, And in that sense, it is similar to SaaS businesses and other tech businesses. Now we are renewing right now over 100% of our premium. So we're exceeding those mid 80 types of numbers. Um, and I think it's a little more challenging for some insure tech companies that are targeting consumers and, and uh, digitally or directly distributing and selling their products. We're working with the broker channel because these products are complex and buyers of these insurance products still want an independent agent or broker on their side.
0: Yeah, like it's, on the consumer side, it's gotta be very tricky because you're dealing with competing against national ad budgets of the Liberty Mutuals, Geico's and Nationwide that are just building these brands. And even though you might be the upstart, that's faster, better, quicker, cheaper, whatever, you still have to deal with those big ad budgets.
1: Yeah, you're right. And again, that's part of the, I think why the, the those commercial insurance rates, uh, renewal rates are in the mid eighties. These are very strong brands. Right. so for us to grow so quickly against uh top-notch competition and having to convince very informed consumers the agents and brokers who yeah, intermediate almost all transactions here means that we're bringing a lot of value to everybody mm-hmm. uh, particularly to the policyholder and to the broker so uh what's the current stage of the business um
0: like you, had a press release talking about 2020, where you had a employee base grew 172% and you were at a $100 million annual premium run rate. So impressive
1: numbers. So like what's what's the current state and what are your growth plans ahead? Sure, well, um, last month it was $120 million run rate. And I know we'll set a new record this month. Um, So the premium side is growing. Uh, I think we started the year at about 130 or 135 people and today we're over 160. Um, By the end of the year, I think we'll have about 250 uh, Corvids uh, in our flock and uh, 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 continued growth to come. And and how did you come up with the name? Ah, Corvus, thanks for asking. Uh, Corvus is the genus of birds that includes rooks and crows and jays and ravens, the smart tool using uh, birds and uh, so for us, it's a, it's a fun metaphor uh, around using tools for commercial insurance. But for me, it's uh, one of the most important things I do in, in my life outside of my work, uh, which is to get out as I did this morning uh, at around six o'clock uh, and go out and see what the spring migration has brought into the local state park. I love to see birds for their own beauty, but also uh, if you will, as a, a lens in which to view climate change uh, and view uh, our environment overall. It's uh, it's more than a hobby. It's really a, an obsession.
0: Yes, climate change um, with Google's Google Earth, their massive release just announced a week or two ago. When you watch some of those videos, it's just depressing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. And and the warming of the planet changes the behavior of birds Uh, and particularly since many birds migrate uh, and if you live as I do in the Northern United States or the Southern United States, you get a lot of different birds this time of year. A lot of our birds uh, go to Central and South America for the winter, really nice vacation, no passport checks. uh, uh, They get there all by themselves and they're they're coming back right now. Um, And uh, there's concern in some cases if they come back and uh, the climate has warmed up and the bugs uh, or the that they usually eat have already you know been born and gone because it's warmer here mm-hmm. so uh, there's a lot of things that scientists are watching uh in this field but uh yeah i'm lucky uh, that i'm able to name my company after uh uh you know the smartest birds out there it's what we aspire to be
0: well i think what's an important piece th- to explain kind of how you ran a insurance agency at you know scale and successful to now running a, a tech company that's growing at you know very successful levels as well is the fact that you also had your hooks in as an investor right so edmus ventures is this is this your own fund or is it, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah it's
1: my own uh, investing arm right? and i thought what better way to learn than uh, by sharing some of the good fortune i had uh, in my previous business uh, success uh, with uh, early stage entrepreneurs who are trying to bring more technology to the insurance industry. So uh, and I while I do provide a little bit of capital, uh, mostly uh, what I get in return is I learn a lot uh, from seeing what other entrepreneurs uh, are doing to reshape our industry.
0: Yeah. So I think it just makes a lot of sense because it's not like you went from, I think, a uh, tech platform is going to make a lot of sense. Like you were deep in the industry, not only from a domain expertise of understanding how the world of insurance works, but you're also deep into understanding more of the technical side of how entrepreneurs were thinking through these problems. Like we had uh, Ty Harris from Openly on our podcast. I know that's a company that you had invested in. Uh, Hi Marley just recently raised more capital. So there's many others, but um, so you've had your hooks in as a uh, external investor in these companies too.
1: Yeah, and I've learned a lot uh, from each of them, even from the couple of them that have failed.
0: Yes, unfortunately, can't I can't hit hundred percent when it comes to investing, but uh, is definitely lessons learned from each uh, failure. So, so what like when you think about companies and you see kind of you know some of the things that you're publishing out there of what companies should be doing to improve their overall cybersecurity health, we'll call it. Uh, like, what are the, some of the common missteps uh, that they just fall down on that would be so obvious, yet they don't know it's that obvious.
1: Yeah, Keith, the most common one in in the last six months has been around remote desktop protocol. And uh, not everybody knows what that is, but we all all experienced it. Uh, If 10 or 15 years ago, you had an aha moment where you called somebody in IT, at least if you were in a bigger organization, and said, hey, Susie, you know, my computer's not working. Can you come up to the 12th floor and take a look at it? And Susie said, oh, I don't need to come up anymore. I can just access your desktop from my desktop. Uh, you know, and that is remote desktop protocol are kind of the rules written around that that allow Susie uh, down on the 10th floor uh, or Joey who's in Canada uh, to do the same thing. And um, that's, of course, a great way to get assistance to fix your computer more quickly. It's also a great way for cyber criminals to get inside your networks. And there are ways to protect remote desktop protocol, um, but not everybody uh, is has implemented those. Some of them are fairly common that most everybody has exposure to now of uh you know two factor authentication i'm sure you've been asked to give a telephone number or some other form of id to confirm your password perhaps on some digital platform so the 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 fixes are not always that complicated but you'd be surprised at how many organizations kind of open the front door uh put the german shepherd uh, out in the backyard uh, and then just kind of forget the door is left open and two factor identification it's it's a little bit of an inconvenience
0: yet I've been hearing this over and over again. So it's one of these things that as consumers, you know, there's things that you can do. that's very easy. That's going to protect you. And that's one of them. And again, it's an inconvenience, but it's, I'd rather deal with an inconvenience like that than having to clean up a whole mess of, you know, someone having access to things they shouldn't have access to.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, um, it won't be the end of it. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, a lot of folks have used the whack-a-mole analogy uh, that the cyber criminals are very entrepreneurial and they're making a lot of money right now, right? The success of ransomware for these organizations means they <clears throat> they have more money to invest in R&D and figure out other ways to uh, harm organizations and steal from them. So uh, as we protect, you know, get that German shepherd out of the front door and put an extra lock on it, Uh, Unfortunately, they're burrowing through tunnels to get to us in some other fashion. So um, all of us as as organizations want to be that organization that is not desirable to the cyber criminals. Uh, That's about as much as we can all aspire to do right now. Uh, Of course, try to stay ahead of them, but at the very least to be responsive to the new threats.
0: Do you think there's any um... Well, I'm sure there are, but uh, in your opinion, uh, areas that are still ripe for disruption and insure tech?
1: Sure, I think that the, you know, the brokerage business where I was before uh, still uh, lacks really good digital platforms to uh, to share information with their clients. So uh, there are some companies out there taking on that challenge, but uh, organizations that buy insurance and they all do, right? Whether that's a bank or an airline or a credit union or uh, uh, a travel agency, uh, everybody buys insurance. And you know what? Nobody likes to buy insurance, and uh, and, and commercial insurance is almost worse than buying personal insurance uh, because you don't want to be the person who buys the wrong commercial insurance and find out that some claim happens and it's not covered, right? Mm -hmm. So there's only downside in all of that. And uh, insurance buyers want tools. They want benchmarking tools. They want scores. They want advice. They want to be able to make decisions better. And the use of data can be so prominent in this field. Uh, And I think that uh, alone, uh, I think just because I've worked running a brokerage firm before it jumps out at me as one of the still exciting places to bring new technology.
0: Now, is there a company or two that you would say, wow, what they're doing is really, really cool and innovative. And, um, I guess it would have to be outside of investments you've made. Cause I'm sure all of those you think are super cool and innovative.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think it's become sport to, um, to tear down Lemonade. Um, And I still admire them very much. I think that that they've created a really powerful brand and that they're trying to bring uh, a customer responsiveness and the use of digital tools and mobile tools uh, that is very important to a lot of younger buyers. Uh, And uh, I'm not endorsing their stock one way or the other, uh, but I do think. uh that that name comes to mind just because you know uh i think their prominence as being one of the first insured techs to go public has made them a bit of a target all right what are three apps you can't live without oh gosh three three apps you know i'll i'll my 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 best story is that uh you know if you'd asked me a year and a half ago of course i would have said uber and lyft and uh, uh, and uh, then I uh, hadn't used it. So last week, or uh, I had uh, two weeks ago, I had my first business travel since COVID, mm-hmm. and I had to look, you know, uh, look at my uh, my Uber and Lyft uh, buttons again. And I said, Yeah, yeah, this is really good. This is super convenient. You know, you take these things, uh, and I press the button in Atlanta, and lo and behold, not only did a car show up, but it was a, a taxi cab. So they've integrated, you know, conventional taxi drivers into their network of, of cars because of the convenience that that it gives you. So um, uh, again, having spent a year like probably you and everybody else uh, working from my desk, it's nice to get back out and reminded of the apps, even the restaurant apps. I haven't used a restaurant app, uh, you know, for a while. But lo and behold, I had to press resi, you know, uh, or open table to get out there. So as a consumer, I'm using the same things everybody else is. Yeah,
0: absolutely. How about any good uh, book recommendations, podcast
1: recommendations? Oh, gosh, in in podcasts, I don't know that you want to know, because you know, my favorite podcasts are all about birds, you know, uh, know, bird note, or uh, the science of birds uh, Mm -hmm. are a couple that come to mind. So when I have time to listen to podcasts, um, uh, I go right to, you know, more stories about birds. It's fascinating.
0: Well, usually I close the show with, "What do you like to do outside of work?" We've already touched upon that with with what you love to, you know, in terms of the bird watching and nature.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're very kind to ask, Keith, and uh, um, yeah, b- but you and I also share a little interest in music, right?
0: Exactly. I was gonna say, but I learned you like to play the guitar <laughs> and sing.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little singing, a little guitar, and uh, you know, uh, if uh, we can have a little fun sitting outside of. Uh, Fireplace this summer, and I can strum along with the uh, uh, you know some songs of the '70s and '80s. I'm a pretty happy guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, I feel bad for my children because <laughs> their music. I'm just like you know, I I'm like, oh my god, I'm I am that parent where I'm like, your music's horrible. But it like I, like I was having a conversation the other day with somebody where they don't have complete albums anymore. It's all single based. So to have that experience of listening from the first song to the last song, and the artist thought about how that album was structured and right I mean yeah. it's just
1: you can't replace that too bad but you know music of the '90s. I mean this morning I was working out to Green Day and mm-hmm. Florida. you know and uh, mm-hmm. and I'm a big Taylor Swift fan so yeah uh, I think there's a lot of great music always being made but uh, I'm never mm-hmm. going to ignore the music of of my youth and nobody does yeah
0: yeah no the 90s was you know my 80s and 90s were kind of like the golden era for me yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's still good music out there. It's just I, I think it misses that complete album because the world is your catalog on Spotify. You don't have to, uh, you know, wait. You know, when Pearl Jam released their second album, I waited at Strawberries to get you know first access to it, and it was a listening party, and it was amazing when I was in college. So yeah, that whole experience is gone. But anyway, yeah, well,
1: replaced by other great experiences, I'm sure.
0: That's right. Well, Phil, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and all the great things that are happening at
1: Corvus and of course, all the great uh, advice that you shared as well. Thanks, Keith. You've been very kind and uh, and I've I've enjoyed getting to know you. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it
0: useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFiz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.